0: OTAs are underway, and preparation for the 2023 NFL season is ramping up, which means we're back with our annual positional breakdown series. Today, we discuss the Seahawks offensive line with the greatest to ever do it, NFL Hall of Famer and member of the Seahawks Ring of Honor, Walter Jones. Let's light them up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my brilliant producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike. How are we doing today?
1: We're feeling great, Jackson. We're jacked. We're amped. We're ready to get our positional breakdown series running and off the ground for a second straight year. Feeling great, man. How are you? I couldn't be happier, brother,
0: because the NFL offseason is officially in full swing, which means we get to start diving into the details of the Seahawks roster, what to expect from them in the upcoming season. Like you said, this is our second year doing the positional breakdown series. Last year was a blast. Today, we get to do that with an actual living legend, but before we do, I do want to remind everyone listening that Father's Day is coming up, and if you still haven't gotten Dad the perfect gift, we've got you covered. As we've mentioned, the official Cigar Thoughts cigars are now available for purchase at CigarThoughtsNFL.com, and with quick shipping, they can still arrive in time for Pop's Big Day. Direct links to order them will be in the notes on the show page as well, so feel free to click that from whichever platform you're listening on. A bunch of y'all have ordered already. So you know that these cigars are made from a blend of premier Dominican tobacco leaf that has been aged 13 years and are available to Cigar Thoughts listeners for less than half of their normal MSRP. If you haven't gotten any yet, do it for yourself and do it to help support the show. Like I said, the delivery is speedy and the feedback has been incredible. We've had multiple people tell us this is the most enjoyable cigar they've ever had. So if you're looking to level up your Stogie experience, you won't find a better way to do that than this. We've also launched our YouTube channel where you can catch entire episodes as well as video clips from every show. This is one of the best ways you can support Cigar Thoughts, so we're grateful for the few seconds it'll take for you to subscribe. Now, Mike, let's get to the business at hand. Let's do it. Last year, we debuted the positional breakdown series by speaking to experts on each position group and assessing where the Seahawks are at each spot on the roster. It was fun to do, but was also very educational for me and illuminated some specific things to look for as I watched the team play last season. This year, we're starting right up front with the offensive line, and you quite literally could not find anyone better to break that down than the man joining us right now. He was a nine time Pro Bowler, seven time All Pro, member of the NFL's All Decade team for the 2000s, and in 2006, he topped the Sporting News list of best players in the NFL. In 2014, He was elected to the NFL's Hall of Fame. He is the greatest left tackle of all time, Mr. Walter Jones. Walt, thanks for coming in. Uh, Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate that, man. Thanks for having me on here. Yeah, we're thrilled to have you, man. And so, listen, I'm really excited to dig into this team's O-line with you, but I know I'm not the only one listening who is fascinated by your career. Some of the stats are just staggering, like only allowing 23 sacks and over 5,000 pass-blocking plays being flagged for just nine holding calls in 180 games. I'm sure those were all bad calls too. <laughs> <laughs> There've been a lot of great linemen throughout the sports history, man. Is there one particular thing you can point to and say, that's why I was the best.
2: <laughs> I don't know. I think it's uh, for us as offensive linemen, we understand our role. I think we know, you know what we have to do for our team. You know, we don't, we don't get a lot of shine. We we know that we protect the quarterback. We open up holes for the running back. But still, again, the things that that makes you good are the things that you don't commit. So that said, commit sacks and, and holding calls. So for me personally, when I came into the game, I had a lot of guys to look up to that played the game the right way. Uh, like Jonathan Ogden, uh, Willie Rove, uh, Orlando Pace. You know, Tony mm-hmm. Baselli. So for me personally, it was easy for me to come in because I can watch those guys every other week. Or somebody I was going against, and you see, all you look at is their stat line. What did the guy that they go against? So that was the kind of stuff um, that you that you looked at, and that what you tried to do. And so for me personally, that's what I wanted to do. And then you know, ask that thing about when did I know I was good? I think it was you know probably <clears throat> probably year three when you when things start to open up. I tell people all the time when I first started, and and with Seattle. I was out there with blinders. Ninety-nine percent of the time, you got to block the end anyway. But you're not trying to figure out everything that's going on. But you know, once you figure that out and understand plays, that's when the game get easy for you. And and that the cool thing about me is that I got a chance to play with literally one coach for my entire career. So I thought I thought that that really made it easier. Where I wasn't learning a different offense area of the year. So for me, I think that was a, a blessing for me that I was able to play in one system for a long time.
0: Yeah, no, that that's an underrated thing. I mean, you see a ton of turnover at the top in the NFL, and for you to have that continuity had to help. But, I mean, listen, man, even though your retirement wasn't that long ago, the game has changed since you last strapped the pads on. What would you say are some of the biggest shifts you've noticed? And is there any part of today's game that makes you wish you were playing now instead of back then?
2: Maybe the paychecks. Uh, I, yeah, I was, <laughs> was going to say, but you know what? I, I learned. You know, I think uh, the, I think man, they do a great job of protecting the guys now. You know, you go to practice now. The practice is not as as physical, tasking as it was when I played. You know, you had pass. They only have so many so many practices, padded practice throughout the season. So now you're trying to make these guys ready for the season. So I think like if I you know, I think a lot of guys would look at that and say, Man, if you didn't take all the pounding during the week and then you'd be able to play on on you know on Sunday, that's what you want to do. You know, you think about a lot of the veteran guys that have played the game a long time is they still on team. Most of the time you don't see those guys practicing because those guys know what it what it takes to get ready and be ready for the game. So from that standpoint, I think uh you wish you could still play now because now you they are taking uh They're doing a great job of protecting guys and and making sure these guys are ready to play on Sunday. Do you think that's
0: something that the coaches were – like pretty warm to when those those rules changes came in? Or was there like some resistance? Like, no, man, this is, this is how we came up playing and coaching. It's just hitting hard all the time. This is how you get tough, all that kind of thing. Or was it kind of like, yeah, we need these boys fresh on Sunday?
2: I think it's, it's, it's all depends on the coach. And I think a lot of times with the coaches, like you say, some of the coaches are coming back. You know, I came in the league where it was all about respect and what you do on the field, the battles you go through on the field. Uh, but now you know you have to be able to adjust to the I guess you say the younger generation of kids and and you know these now these kids are uh, you know they're they're learning stuff out when they're in high school so by the time they get to the yeah. league they understand how to take care of their body what to eat and stuff so these guys are are mentally prepared and physically prepared to come into the game and be ready to play so I, for me personally I think the coaches have to understand these this younger generation I think the the coaches that that gets that are the ones that you see succeed in the league now that gets that part of the game where now you go to a practice and everybody's playing music and it's loud and chaotic. And when I came in the game, it was all about being quiet, keep your head down, stay grinding. Mm -hmm. But now you go to the practice and it's loud and you can't hardly talk to the person. next. But then you don't realize it until you get to the game on Sunday when you go to pregame and everything is going on. So from that standpoint, how Pete have made these guys feel like every day is like, Uh, getting ready for a game and you see all the chaotic stuff that's going on during the practice, but as a player, you still have to go out there and go out there and put a good product on a football field.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's the thing that stands out about just even attending Seahawks practices, man. It's like a a rock concert going on, but it's like, I mean, NFL game day is a party, right? Like you got to be able to, to do what you got to do with all that going on and, and quiet practice doesn't really (laughs) imitate that very well. Hey, I got I got one last question for you before we dig into the current Seahawks. Most of the players that I've talked to have a specific play call that just made their eyes light up when they heard it in the huddle. Was there one of those for you? And if so, can you walk us through what that was and what your responsibilities were?
2: Oh, man, I think uh, for, for me personally, you know, I think uh, – I think for an offensive lineman, you have me personally have two. Like if a uh, say like uh, I call them the plays that you know that they these are the money plays. We used to have a play call, and I think every tackle had it. I, we used to call it ninety-three blast. That was a uh, uh, left side run off of uh, the, between the guard and the tackle, and that was our bread and butter. And you know you loved it no matter what defense they called that they, they couldn't they couldn't defy. They knew it was coming, and for us as offensive linemen, you want to be able to be able to run that play no matter what type of defense. And you know, when you get winded and you get tired, I think the best thing is to sprint right, keep option to where all you're doing is protecting a gap. And those I call those are you know, and sometimes coaches are good at that when you on a, a couple of play drives, what seven or eight, ten play drive and you're tired. And the coach will call a sprint right option. I think those are the plays where he understands that. It don't take a lot to get that job done. You just kind of getting a breather. You know, you, I have I have told uh, the quarterback, hey, man, we need a breather here. So he'll give him one of those plays. So yeah. for me, those are the two plays where you feel like, okay, these are the plays. Okay, this is, hey, this is the money call. This is what – when he called this play, you knowing that, okay, I got to get my job done. I got to finish this guy. So for me, I would say 93 blasts. Anything – for me personally, I think it's all llamas or whatever. You always want the play to run behind you so yeah any play that's running to the left that's where you know but then you know as i like i say earlier as i learned the game i understood that it's more to it than just me and get my job done it's all everybody got to work as one so for me personally you know you, you have to respect what the backside do to cut those guys off too so but for me i think those are the plays that make you say okay this is what this is why i'm here because they can call these plays on tough downs and you can get the job done
0: Well, I I think Seahawks fans definitely respect that because, you know, you guys had that really special 2005 season. And, of course, Sean Alexander got all the accolades. But I I think everyone understood how important you and Steve Hutchison were to that. And third and two, fourth and one, (laughs) they knew what was coming, man. (laughs) It didn't matter, though, did it?
2: It, 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 honestly, it didn't. I think at that point there, I think all those were students of the game. We understood the game plan, and it was fun. Then you know, like you always try to figure out at what point of your career where the game was fun because you go, you go through high school, you go through college, and then when you get to the professional ranks, it all it turns into a job and all that stuff. But I think once the once the game opened up for all of us. That's when the game became fun again. And I think, you know, now you, and now for me personally, you know, when you go to a team like Seattle, drafted so high, you're not going to be good for a couple of years. So for me personally, I'm, 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 I was excited that I got a chance to experience playoff football, being on a great team, and all that stuff, just seeing how it works. And now I understand that now, like, you know, how important it is to get the number one seed, to play great in the, the regular season, because that's going to make it very easy for you to compete in the playoffs. Is you're doing what you need to do during the regular season. So for yeah. me, I'm I'm, I'm I'm very blessed that I got a chance to be part of some bad teams and been part of some great teams too. Yeah,
0: yeah, man. Well, you, you were a huge, huge piece of that success, as you know. Okay. I I do want to dig into the Seahawks team, specifically the OL. We saw some stretches of really good play from them last year, and then some games where they really struggled. We'll get into the specific individuals shortly, but taken as a whole, what were your impressions of Seattle's O-line last season?
2: Uh, for, for 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 what what happened last year and all the changes, I thought, you know and the draft picks. Uh, for me, like you say, you know, I think that's just part of being a young a young team where you know you come out you're blazing, you're playing good, then you have these lows where you know you got to understand these guys are young. So what they're only playing what ten to twelve games, and the season really don't get started in the NFL to probably week ten anyway. So now you have to look at it like that. But those guys stay together the whole season. So for for me personally, I feel like offensive line the best line, offensive line play or the guys that stick together, guys that can be together, be available on Sunday. So now you're learning your guy every snap. You're going through those battles. I think that's the only position where I think that the only way you can learn it is being out there in the fire. I don't think you can you know, you can take a quarterback and he can sit and watch the game, but for an offensive lineman, I think an offensive lineman have to be out there to go through all the battles and go through all the mistakes. So now you know that stuff. So for me personally, I thought that the way that they started and the way that they ended, I thought you had to feel good about where this offensive line can be and what they're going to be able to do in the near
0: future. You've mentioned the interconnectedness between offensive line a couple of times already. Talk to me about that chain reaction that goes from the tackle's performance all the way on down the line and, and how each guy doing his job affects the other one.
2: Oh, it definitely is. It's almost like a chain link, you know, you can go out here and I can dominate my guy, but then my guy beside me, he's not getting the job done or the backside tackles not getting the job done. So for a uh, offensive line unit, you want to be able to be together and understand. And I think once the offensive linemen get to understand that part of it, I think that's where the game becomes easy. So, you know, and like literally like when me and Hush used to play, um, it was one of those things where we didn't even have to communicate. We knew what we was doing. We saw the looks and we blocked the looks. So from a standpoint from that, and now you see these guys, that's the way they play. Now I think uh, – I'm not saying that we kind of opened that door to watching offensive line play, but I think from a standpoint of people watching the game now, they understand line, line, line play. You know, a lot of times people didn't watch the line. Now these guys yeah. are – just as good as the skill guys, and now you get a chance to watch it. And I think a lot of just uh, fans in general that loves football understand offensive line play understand bad offensive line play, too. So I think for me personally, I enjoy that part of it, that people watch the game for more than just seeing a guy run the ball or seeing a guy catch the ball or the quarterback. They're looking at the full uh, the full team and seeing what, how, how, did, how good it is because it takes every position and every uh, situation to, to win games and stuff. So so I really love the fact that fans understand that part of the game.
0: Yeah, you know, you mentioned the youth of this offensive line a little over a year ago. The Seahawks used two of their top selections on rookie tackles, obviously in Charles Cross and Abe Lucas. As a tackle yourself, what takeaways did you have in watching those guys as they adjusted to the NFL game?
2: I think that they brought they was those those guys was plug and play guys. I think those guys understood that coming in. You know, once you know, I think once they made the trade with Russell Wilson, I thought that you know this is the best route to go. Especially for Geno, you want Geno to come in the game and and feel comfortable. And I thought that for for from from for, for you know you, you like you say they had those lows there in mid season, but from a standpoint of coming in as a rookie to be able to play, to be able to be be available every Sunday. And I think that's a, a good thing for, for, for young offensive linemen, that they are available every Sunday, and those guys was. so. And I think all they're going to do now is get better because I think, like I say, as a young guy, you want to go through the battles mm-hmm. so those guys understand what they need to do to be ready to to get through the whole season what it take to you know be in shape be physically ready for a taxing season i think these guys are going to be even better this year because they've been in the offense they know the offense they back with the same quarterback so i think it's going to be a, a, a fun year for these guys going out there and playing football
0: safe to say you're comfortable moving forward with those two as the bookends of the line for the foreseeable future
2: I'm very comfortable, you know. I feel like, you know, as long as they're out there playing, you know, long as you don't, you know, start getting injuries and stuff. But, you know, these guys are young, so they're, they're just getting into the game, so they should be good enough to go out there and get the job done. I'm very content and very happy with this young offensive lineman and what they're going to be able to do.
0: You know, if, if there was any glaring weakness in the Seahawks' front, in my eyes anyway— It was the interior of the line and not all season, but during some stretches, you know, Seattle ripped off four consecutive double digit wins in the middle of the year. And that correlated with really efficient offense, both passing and running games. But then they hit a wall run game disappeared for about a month. Gino was being forced to throw the ball quicker than he had previously. And as I was watching those games, I noticed that the majority of the disruption came up the middle and we saw Ken Walker's average yards before contact drop from over two yards to about negative one yard. What happened during that stretch and how can Seattle go about fixing that?
2: I think it's just part of the game. I think a lot of times, you know, you get you get in the first part of the season, it's basically about you trying to figure out what team. And, and defenses are doing exactly the same thing. So you will have those lows in the midseason where teams, you think of teams have figured you out. And then now once you get that break, then you go back and look at some of your plays that was officially good. And you have to look at that part and just try to see. Like last year, you got to realize that they're still trying to figure out what this O-line is about, what they can do good, what are they good at. So you kind of saw that low, and now they're trying to new stuff they trying this and that stuff don't work but then you get back to the basic things that made them successful in the early in the season then now you start them seeing like okay i like the way this offensive line play i think it's more of those guys getting out there and not thinking and just playing football and once you saw that that's when things start to open up. So I think it's more of just not thinking so much when you're playing the game, just react to whatever is going on. And then that's when you see all the big plays and things start to happen. When you stick to the game plan and not trying to do anything outside of your comfort zone. Yeah.
0: yeah. Now last year you had Damian Lewis, Gabe Jackson, Phil Haynes, Austin Blythe, manning the majority of the snaps in the middle of the line. This year, the Seahawks signed Evan Brown from Detroit they drafted a couple interior linemen on day three, those being center Olu Oluwatimi and a guard from LSU that I really like pre draft and Anthony Bradford. When you look at those guys and compare them to the dudes up there last year, do you see any real noticeable changes in makeup and playstyle?
2: Oh, not really. I think it's all about just getting the bodies. I think a lot of times when you see all these picks ups and stuff, you're thinking about the bodies you're going to need for training camp and stuff like that. And then you got to see who these guys, you got to these backup guys have to be versatile. So you just say, oh, I play tackle. No, if you're a backup, you might have to play tackle. You might have to play a guard. So I think from a standpoint of that, you always want to be prepared to have those guys that, you know, you get any, you know, most of the time you get any of these kids from from the sec they are ready to play so you know yeah. you get these guys that have been playing physical football their whole career and so those you call them plug and play guys so you got a guy like that that's going to be able to sit back and learn and then once you get in the game he's going to be able to play so i think for for the seahawks i think they're going in the right path of making sure that they have the the the, the backups that can come in if, if, if it's a an injury or somebody have to come out of snap. So I think from a standpoint, you are making sure that you've got those bodies ready. So when the season start.
0: Yeah. You know, and, and Seattle's now invested some major draft capital up front over the last couple of years, which means we could see a lot of youth on that O-line this season. When you were playing this is something I've always been fascinated by. When you were playing, how quickly could you tell whether a rookie had what it took or not and what were the telltale signs either way?
2: <laughs> I don't know. I think it just I think it's more uh the uh, the mental aspect of the game. I think that you have to watch for kids because most of the time once these kids come in they're they're big man on campus it, the game was easy to them and then you get here I think it's more of me just watching the battles you know if a kid messes up today the and then he get in there tomorrow he don't make those same mistakes for me that's the thing. I don't look at guys of a guys dumping a guy on his head or not like that because the night time you're not gonna get that in a game so don't don't bank on that that's what if you was doing it in college don't bank on it. that's what's gonna happen when you get to the pros you have to be a student of the game you got to work on leverage so it's those guys to understand the game and understand uh why are you blocking the guy this way and stuff like that and a lot of times you see kids that coming in and they're they on a one-track mind but they're not thinking about the whole game but right. i think from a standpoint if a kid understand that for me personally i want to know a kid understand situational football and understand what's going on and once you see that you know now you know that this kid is not playing football
0: Sure, sure. Well, and, and at the college game, I mean, we're just seeing this proliferation of all different kinds of offenses now, right? There's so many systems. You got over a hundred teams looking for an edge. The NFL, you, you definitely have some differences from team to team, but I imagine scheme wise, they're a little bit smaller than the gap CC uh, at the college level. And one of the concerns with uh, Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas coming in was, are they going to be able to run block the way that they're going to need to in a Pete Carroll offense? after spending the majority of their collegiate time pass blocking uh how how important is versatility as an offensive lineman or are there just some guys where it's like hey this is what they're good at and if you ask them to do something else they're just not going to cut it
2: i I think that is but still again i always say i you know you get this i think we i got this question last year when they drafted cross about you know is he going to be able to uh and i still think a guy you know you get a kid that's you know, all he's been is a two-point stand the whole, whole career. Then he come to the league? You know, you see quarterbacks that they, all they do is be in the shotgun. You right. have to be able to put your hands in the dirt. You know, you look at the great teams, even though you look at teams like Kansas City where they throw the ball all over the field. But still, again, you've got to put your hands in it. At some point in the season, some point in the playoff, you've got to put your hands in the dirt and play football. So you yeah. see that. And I think for these guys, they're still learning that part of the game. But still, again, this this uh, this uh NFL is, like you say, it's a copycat league. So right now, you know, being a two-point stand, you know, it was frowned upon when I came to the league. Sure, you know, it was sure. only if it was third downs that you get in a two-point stand. Now these guys are in two-point stand throughout the whole game, but still again, you know, you get to the Titans of a game, and now you're seeing that these guys got to put their hand in the dirt and play football, and I think these guys have definitely figured that out and understand that, too.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and look, man, I, I know that we're on a tight timeline today, and super, <laughs> super grateful for you making the yeah. time to come in. I appreciate the insight, and I do got one more Seahawks related question for you before okay. we go, but... I also want to acknowledge some of the awesome stuff you've been doing since you hung up the cleats. As a lot of the listeners know, you do excellent post-game work for King 5. But you've also got a killer clothing line called Best to Ever Do It, B2 EDI, with some dope workout gear, lots of other stuff. I've already got one of your black hoodies on the way. But tell us a little (laughs) bit more about that, as well as the Offensive Lineman of the Week Award you give out back in Alabama.
2: You know what, man, it's just something that I always wanted to do, you know, have my own clothing brand and something about my clothing brand is all about portraying being the best version of yourself when you go out and about, you know, a lot of times, a lot of times people don't understand that, you know, sometimes people feel like every time you go out, you have to be somebody, no, just be your best version of you, you know, and I think that's what I try to portray in my clothing brand has been great for me. People love it. So, you know, just constantly trying to come up with cool stuff and things like that. So, for me personally, I think that's pretty cool. And then what I do now is, uh, this is going into my year three, uh, back in my hometown, where I recognize offense linemen. I always felt like, you know, you have to always recognize those guys. So, sometimes those guys need a bu- a, 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 a push. So, for me, I just wanted to recognize it. It's a lot more of what the coaches do, you know, me personally. I don't have time to look at the guys. So, I have to, you know, in the beginning of the season, I have to go to these coaches and say, these are the guys. You know, most of time especially in high school you already know who your guys right. are yeah, so, yeah. so you know you're playing that in that game so basically you want to help a kid you know since I've been doing this I had two kids that have got scholarship just because I didn't give them this award so for me I think it's just another boost to put an eye on offense alignments and understand how important it is for uh offense on football that uh, offensive line play have to be great. So for me, I always want to recognize those guys. And and for me, I really enjoy you get a chance to go back to my home home state, get a chance to meet these people. A lot of times these people don't get a chance to to be around you, to see you just a normal person. So for me personally, I, I stay in touch with these kids and – in the, and I'm here to help them in any kind of way, whatever thing they need to be done to get them to the next level. And a lot of times these kids are so hung up on just being out of a, a big five school, one of these big schools. And when they realize that there are so many avenues to continue playing football. So for me personally, that's something that I want to give these kids because no matter what your size is, is this something that you really want to do? You can find uh uh, uh, a division of football that you can still continue to play football. So I try to relay this because a lot of times there sometimes I say these kids are just set in one. Hey, I want to go to a D1 school and that's it. If yeah, I don't yeah. go to right. FSU, I'm not going to do nothing. Don't realize that there are so many other ways to, to continue to play in football. So because it doesn't matter if, like I'll tell people nowadays now with, with the internet, if you're good, they will find you. So just go out there and compete and play good football and put some good stuff on film and they will find you. So that's what I try to relate to these kids. And another thing that I got going on now is that I do a, uh, it's kind of like the high spin trophy for the Juco players, but they cool. call it the Walter Jones, uh, Walter Jones trophy. So last year was the first year of it. So I look forward to being a part of that. I get a chance to meet some great, amazing kids that, They got a chance to to leave Juco and go to a D1 school or continue their football career. So for me, you know, Juco is where it started for me. So for me to be part of uh, another, like I say, another avenue of of kids finding a way to continue to play football. So for me, those are the things that I enjoy doing. And like I say, it's been fun, man. I enjoy Like I say, I call Seattle home and I enjoy being here.
0: Yeah, man. I mean, I don't think there's anything cooler than when you get some of the guys who are most successful ever at playing a sport and they're reinvesting their time into the youth and growing the game and and showing the way, man. I I think it's awesome. I just, I see your face light up talking about it. You know, I I can tell it's something you really care about.
2: Oh, definitely, man. I appreciate it, man. And, you know, it's just been fun, man. I think for us as players and as, like they say, uh, important people, you always have to give back and you always want to do that. You want to get a chance to reach someone, you know what I'm saying, to show that, hey, I was in those chairs too. I've been at mo- multiple places where I didn't talk kids I've been in those same chairs. So never never give up. If this something that you want to do, uh, stick with it.
0: You uh strapping those kids up to escalades <laughs> You still getting out there pushing no, the they're they,
2: they not ready for that, man. you know it, it's so <laughs> weird that, that you say that because when I first started that and it got a width of that. And now when I go to a lot of these NFL places, they indoor facilities, they got some kind of makeshift thing like that. I said, man, I should have copyrighted that, man. I should have called that the big Walk push or something. So, but you know, (laughs) it's something, it was something that I did because coming from a, a small school, we didn't have a lot of weight equipment and that's what my coaches did for me. And so when I was missing training camp and going through my negotiation, I thought that was the best way to get me ready to play football and, and stuff like that. And a lot of people caught on to it and stuff. So for me, it was just a way of me getting ready for the season.
0: Yeah, man. Just like if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. If you can push a truck, you can push a D lineman. Yes, right?
2: Sir. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, brother, we're about ready to get out of here. But before we do, I got one last question for you. Okay. If you had to wager a hundred thousand dollars on whether the 2023 Seahawks go further than the 2022 team, not as far or finish with the same result, what would you bet on?
2: I would say that uh, they're going to have a better record than they did last year. They had what nine wins last year. So I'm seeing, That's right. I'm seeing probably 10 to 11 wins this year. You know, I don't, I, I'm kind of, I'm thinking we're going to be the team that come out of the West, but you know, I'm, I'm kind of continually keep looking at the Rams and seeing what that quarterback is going to do. But I'm thinking Gino is going to come out and play some great football. You know, I think it's going to be all about what you do in the beginning. You know, we got a, we got an early bye week. So we got to plan that out perfect. I don't like those those early bye weeks like yeah. that but you know then you got you got to run off 12 games after that you know you're gonna have those little Thursday night games where you get those little mini they call them like little mini buys but still and again but I feel like this team is built right now to make a run you know if it don't happen this year I'm thinking this team is totally built for the next two years to kind of make some noise uh in, in the league so but I would take the hundred thousand that they're gonna win more games this year just because of the pickups the way the offense is looking and that Gino gonna be to go out there and win some games.
0: Yeah, man. I, I think it's safe to say future's bright 2023, 2024, man. They there was all this talk about this is gonna be a teardown, rebuild. I don't think that's Pete's flavor. I don't think that's John's flavor. And I didn't get a sense from anybody on this team that they were thinking, oh man, we're gonna suck for a little bit. Like it was we getting right back to it. But then I think I think a lot of things about that,
2: you look at Gino, and I think Gino was behind somebody that he watched the way that they work. And Gino knew that this was my opportunity. If you get a guy that this is my opportunity, you're gonna see things that, you know, and I think Gino plays the game the way Pete wants him to play the game, you know. And I think Pete Pete ain't looking for no blowout. I think Pete liked those nail biters to be in the <laughs> yeah. game. It's kinda of like it's kinda of like you're watching the Miami Heat, you know. They keep the game close, right. they keep the nail biting. <laughs> And then they come in, you know, win it in the fourth quarter. So I think that's kind of the way Pete wants to play. You know, I don't think Pete want to throw it all over the football field. He want to keep the game. You know, the more you throw it across the football, there's opportunity to have turnovers in. And Pete loved the football. Don't want to give the football to the other team. So I tell people all the time, don't be thinking that there's going to be blowouts every game. There's going to be nail biters. Are going to be to the end. And that's the way Pete wants to play
1: the game. So you're saying that they're going to make the Super Bowl as a seven seed next year. Book it, right? Whoa. <laughs> Walt's, Walt's calling his shot. I love it. I love it. Could That's happen, what, I heard. That's hey, what
2: could, I heard him saying. Hey, it could happen, man. You think about it, though. You know, most uh the lower teams are the ones that kind of get hot right then in the end. So I would take that. You know, you look at a lot of the teams that get to the next level, get to the win, it'd be those teams that kind of like just be, you're just putting along and then all of a sudden they get good. They get, you know, it's all, I look at it like in the playoff, it's all about getting hot at the right time. You can be hot yep. all season, but you make sure you are peaking at the right time. And most of the time it'd be those teams that, that
0: get in on a whim. And then now all of a sudden they go on this, this, this amazing run. That's right. Who's hot, who's healthy. Exactly exactly all right man well that does it for today well this has been tremendous man thank you so much for coming in all right so man appreciate that guys man i had a good time of course and before we let you go where can people listening find more of you oh man you can go to my uh what uh my
2: instagram at bigwall 71 twitter big 71 so uh just go check me out go check out the brand at best they ever do at b2edi.com go check it out man it's great often stuff and i'm right now i'm finna push out a a, a big uh a, a summer sale where everything gonna, gonna go so probably like 25 percent off so i'm looking forward to that man it's been fun man
0: and thank you guys for having me on of course of course there you have it folks Walt had to get going over to Seahawks practice, and we are deeply grateful that he made the time to join us. He only had about 30 minutes available today, and frankly, it rules that he chose to spend that time with us. But I do want to dig in a little more on some of these guys individually with you, Mike, specifically Evan Brown, who came over from the Lions this offseason. What were your feelings about that acquisition?
1: I mean, he's a former undrafted free agent, uh, but everybody that, that spoke about the signing after it went down was high on him. You know, He was a guy that a lot of teams... Fan bases were talking about wanting to kick the tires on. He seems like a decent athlete. Their scheme crossover between Detroit and Seattle. He filled in for Frank Ragnow when he went down last year and he played solid. I think the word is that center is his most natural position. So. Yeah, because
0: he he played guard. He, he played guard about a little over half the time in Detroit, yep, too. He's a
1: versatile guy, which obviously the Seahawks love in their O-linemen, but... Uh, when we were going into the draft and we were talking about John Michael Schmitz or you know the Ohio State guy Wipler, so on and so forth, Tipman, uh, <laughs> the Seahawks had had a center and you know they went Olu Oluwatimi in the fifth round, who we can touch on in a few, but uh, maybe Evan Brown's presence was the the indication that we shouldn't get our hopes up in round yeah. two.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, there's gonna be there's gonna be if if he is the center, there's gonna be some pressure whether it's him or Oluwatimi because. I mean, and you hear this about a lot of guys after the draft, right? Is oh other other teams had this guy, you know, rated way higher, or we had him, you know, one, two rounds higher than where we took him. But there's a lot of smoke about that around Olawatimi. It was just a big old center. They took him in the fifth round, and uh he had some some real beef. And and that's kind of the thing, you know, Seattle's kind of had smaller centers recently, and, and some of that just may have had to do with the stature of their quarterback. And, you know, you've got a taller quarterback now. I feel like with these guys, you've got a little bit more of a prototypical size right in the middle of the line.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, how many times do we watch Ethan Posick get bench-pressed back into Russ, right? (laughs) Right. Like we've watched Joey Hunt, who I think is back on the team. Welcome back, Joey Hunt. (laughs) He is, he is. uh, Getting absolutely, like, manhandled by Gerald McCoy. I feel like that's an image that has stuck with me for half a decade at this point. Yeah, you know, it's uh, like we've talked about, the Seahawks have been drafting athletes from like Blue Bloods, big schools. We got Olawatinis from Mm -hmm. Michigan. And then the other guy, the other rookie that they drafted, Anthony Bradford out of LSU. And and you and I had talked about Bradford with with Rob Staten when we did our mock draft ahead of time. And I just... We we talk about you know the way that we lock in for the first two days of the draft. When you hit day three, if it's a name that I know, then great. <laughs> they right. pull the yeah, trigger on a guy that I yes. discussed previously. That's a win, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. makes makes us feel a little bit smarter. But you know the the thing with Bradford I like is he's a top two percent athlete at his position. You know, there's questions about pass blocking. You get that with a lot of guards that aren't going in the top 50 picks is can they pass block? Because at the college level, uh, it's most noticeable to really see a guard's talent when they're pushing forward. And a lot of these guys are just straight up bigger than the dudes they're blocking. And that's really evident in the run game. And that's where Bradford excelled. But he's 340 pounds. With like a 30-plus inch vertical, I mean, this dude is big. He can move. I like what you said about them drafting from blue blood uh, colleges and and not getting cute, you know? Uh, during the Tom Cable days, it was all of this. Well, we're going to teach this tight end how to play line. We're going to teach this guard how to play tackle and vice versa. We're going to take this defensive end or this basketball player. We're going to put his hand in the dirt. We're going to take Jimmy Graham and put his hand in the dirt. And – it didn't work. It just never worked. And now it's like, no, we're going to draft really good tackles and really good guards and a really good center. And we're going to ask them to play those positions after they've been playing against true top power five NFL caliber players in some instances. It's just, it's a more encouraging process for me.
1: It absolutely is. And I think that Bradford is exactly the type of guy that you want to take that chance on, especially in the fourth round, right? Because like you said, he's an incredible athlete. Uh, one of his, you know, relative athletic score, uh, comps based on his athleticism is his fellow Wolverine and former Seahawk, uh, Steve Hutchinson. I know the, the big reason that he probably fell so far is because I think he only started 17 games in college. Like he just doesn't, he doesn't have the, the reps, the snaps, right. but if you look on, uh, I think it was SIS put out uh, a chart on guard prospects and Anthony Bradford had the lowest overall blown block percentage in the guard class this year. He had the lowest in run plays at 0.3% and then pass plays he had 1.3%. So we're going to see how he fares against Phil Haynes, who was also slightly less athletic, but another comp physically.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that that was kind of Haynes' hallmark is that he's just wildly athletic for his size. And you know, that that helps. It's it's far from everything, you know, footwork and assignment recognition, assignment correctness. These are the things that really set people aside. And we, we heard Walt talk about it earlier in the show, you know, it was like he's talking about the things that made him great it wasn't that he was bigger or stronger. It was that he understood the assignment. He knew where his feet needed to be. He was able to diagnose plays early on and, and know exactly what he needed to do on that play and then execute it. And, you know, it, it, it's easy to just look at offensive line and say, yeah, just block the guy that's in front of you. Did you do that? Or did you not do that? But there really is so much more to that. You know, are you chipping on a guy? Are you getting help on a certain play? Uh, am I getting to the second level and picking up a linebacker? my diagnosing a blitz. And if that blitz happens, are we switching assignments? All of that stuff, you have to be able to make split second decisions, then execute. And, and that's what separates the guys who stick around and who don't.
1: And it doesn't hurt to be uh, massive enough to cave in half of a defensive line single-handedly. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> they've got that going for them.
0: <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. And you know, I, whenever we talk about offensive line, I think about our conversations that we've had with Matt Nichols, and him, you know, he said a lot of stuff that is really illuminating for me about the nitty gritty aspects of offensive line play. But one thing that really stands out to me, we talk about moving guys all over the line, like you hear fans and, and analysts just kind of flippantly say, well, I eh, just move them to the right side or just move them inside or whatever. And, and Matt's like, all right, let's talk about that difference. You know, it's the difference between left foot forward, right foot forward. That might not seem like a big deal until you try to put your pants on with the leg going in first that you don't normally go in first. You got to stop and think about that. Something as easy as doing that, much less trying to block an Aaron Donald or a linebacker coming off a stunt. So, I mean, it it really isn't just as simple as saying like, ah, he's, he's maybe not the best fit on the left side. Let's just shift him over.
1: A good example of the difficulties of transitioning from position to position is Justin Britt, right? They drafted him in 2014 right. and he was starting for them in the playoffs as a right tackle, as a rookie. And then they moved him to left guard, I believe. Yeah. And then finally in year three in 2016, I think he was at center and then he found his home there. You know, he played out the yeah. rest of his career at center. So it's. Bopping around from position to position is tough. And that's something that another guy on Seattle's line that we haven't really touched much on, Damian Lewis, uh, has yeah. done. I think he started out playing right guard and then he switched to left guard. He got a few snaps at center against Arizona. Right. Uh at one point also. But He's coming up on a new contract soon, and he's been nothing but solid. He was exactly that same sort of process, right? Pete knew Coach O at LSU, and he had nothing but great things to say about Lewis, who was a solid athlete, reliable guy, and he's been nothing but that since they drafted him a few years ago.
0: Yeah, Lewis is someone that I've been really, really high on, and and not because I'm some great o-line scout but because people who Don't are really sure. liked him <laughs> sure. but on, people who really understand the intricacies of the line play really liked what Damian Lewis had to offer and, and his debut was phenomenal I think it was against the Rams and he just got thrown in there against at the time was the best defensive line in football and
1: Seattle loves doing that to their rookies huh? I
0: know man he locked Aaron Donald up that game too I, re- I remember that he, he had 23 snaps. And I'm trying to remember who it was who graded this out. It might have been PFF. But he had 23 snaps where his assignment was Aaron Donald. And on 22 of them, he didn't get beat. And if you can have a 96% well success rate against point. Aaron Donald in, in your debut, like literally your first NFL game, it shows what his ceiling can be. Now, yes. uh, like we've talked about on the show a lot, NFL is a game of adjusting to your opponent's adjustments. There's no just hey, this is what we do. We're going to go out and dare you to stop. Is that, that shit doesn't work anymore. Everyone's too good. Coaches are too smart. Players are too smart. So, you know, you really do have to have the ability to counterpunch and um, and we're going to see if, if Damian Lewis can hang on to his job doing that. I, I'd, I'd love to see him be the, you know, one of our starting guards this year because I think he's probably the most talented interior lineman that the Seahawks have. But There's some real competition now.
1: It feels like heading into the 2023 season, the Seahawks, while they do have a lack of uh, cumulative snaps across the line compared to a lot of units around the league, it feels more settled than it has in a long time because of the stability brought on by Cross and Lucas having such quality seasons because Lewis is now that that savvy vet Uh, Phil Haynes competing with Bradford I mean Haynes has flashed when he's been in the center is kind of up for debate but again Brown uh, was a relatively lauded guy coming in I'm I I feel less concerned about the unit heading into the year than I have in a long time
0: yeah yeah I think that's fair to say you know if Seattle can be a top twelve offensive line. I think this offense can be top five because I think that they've got a top ten to twelve quarterback. I think now they've probably got a top six to eight backfield and a top two receiving core. You know, and it's real talent in the tight end group with Noah Fan, and Colby Parkinson. We'll see. You know, if Will Disley's able to make it back from his latest injury, but there's no reason this team can't score at a high rate. I don't. I don't know from a pure points per game. Standpoint, you know, whether they're going to be top five or not, but I think efficiency, you know, the the one stat that I judge offenses on is points per drive because everybody plays at different paces. Some teams average 13 offensive drives per game, and a lot of that has to do with how quickly their defense is getting off the field, game flow, all that kind of stuff. Other teams average closer to 10 and you know, a, a team that gets thirteen chances is just going to score more on average than a team that does ten. But how many points per opportunity are you putting up? How often are you turning your possessions into points? And I, I'd bet on Seattle being top six in that regard this season.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I think you're pretty low. I think if they're top three, it's then, then we're cooking. Then we're cooking. Come on.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that's crazy too, right? Because the difference between top three and top six doesn't feel like a lot, but it is a lot because now you're talking about scoring on par with the Chiefs, the Bills, the Eagles, the Bengals. We'll see what this new Ravens offense looks like. There's, there's going to be a lot of teams scoring a lot of points this year, so... The Dolphins, my God. (laughs) I mean, this this is uh, an offensive boon. And uh, Seattle's going to have to score a lot to keep up with that. But, you know, I I think their defense can be good enough where if Seattle is even a top 8, top 10 offense overall, they're going to win a lot of games. All right, that does it for our time today. As always, you can find Mike and I on social media. I am on Twitter at at Jackson Bevins. That's J-A-C-S-O-N. Remember that no K is okay when spelling my name. Mike is on Twitter at, at MikeBarwin, and the show itself is at Cigar Thoughts. You can also find us on Instagram at CigarThoughtsNFL, on TikTok at, at CigarThoughts, on YouTube at, at Cigarthoughts, and on Facebook at Cigar Thoughts a Football Show. Of course, you can listen to this show and read every article at fieldgoals.com slash Cigarthoughts. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and you like the show, drop us a five-star rating and leave a quick review. Finally, be sure to check out CigarThoughtsNFL.com to get your exclusive Cigar Thoughts cigars. Or hit me up on Twitter and I'll shoot you the deets. When you buy those cigars, reach out on Twitter or Instagram with a pic. Tell us what you think. Thank you to all of y'all listening for your continued support of the show. I say it every week, but we know that you've only got so much time for podcasts in your life and it's an honor to be a part of that for y'all. Please know that by sharing the show on social media and with your friends, you give us the juice to keep making this happen. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime... Onwards and upwards, my friends.